Welcome to another edition of Inspired Stories, where leaders share their experiences so we can learn from their successes, how they've overcome adversity, and explore current challenges they're facing. Welcome to another edition of the Inspired Stories podcast, where leaders share their experiences so we can learn from their successes, how they've overcome adversity, and explore current challenges they're facing. My name is Anthony Cotisbody, and today's guest is Michael Shant. He is a senior account executive at Avanos Medical Chronic Pain Solutions. He is a highly accomplished, award-winning sales leader with a comprehensive background in launching new products, turning around underperforming territories, developing winning sales teams, and consistently exceeding sales targets. Before we get into the good stuff with Mike, today's episode is brought to you by my company, Adback Benefits Agency where we offer very specific and unique employee benefits that are both great for your team and fiscally optimized for your bottom line. One recent client was able to save over $900 per employee per year by implementing one of our proprietary programs. Another client is going to save over $1,200 per employee per year by implementing a patented construct that we offer. Results vary for each company and some organizations may not be eligible. To find out if your company qualifies, contact us today at adbackbenefitsagency.com. Now, back to our guest today, the award-winning sales executive, Michael Shaw. Mike, I appreciate you making time for us today. Of course. So looking at your LinkedIn profile, it appears that you've pretty much always been in sales. What first attracted you to this field, and when did you realize that this is something that you could be really good at? Uh, well, um, you know, I didn't really even know what I wanted to do. I got done playing professional golf and my standard joke is once I once I found out girls like a guy who makes a profit, I had to go do something else. And uh, one of my best friends at the time was um, selling medical devices and his job. I just would always talk to him. His job looked pretty cool. So then um, he helped me. I said, how do I get into it? And he said, go sell copiers. So I went and got a copier sales job and then um, started realizing I was pretty darn good at it. And, um, you know, just kept growing and growing and growing. And um, all of a sudden about, oh boy, hold on a second. 18 years later, I've been selling for 18 years and I had no idea it was 18 years until, you know, 12 seconds ago. So, <laughs> so you, you mentioned a couple of interesting things there. First, uh, professional golf career. Can you give voice to that? It was a fantastic experience. You know, I, uh, I competed, um, at a, at a, at a very high level and, um, uh, you know, was able to keep myself out there and, 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 you know, be pretty decently successful and make some money, but never got to like the, the big tours or anything. But, um, that was just maturity, not the skill level, but, um, uh, you know, you learn a lot, you learn to grow up, you, um, you know, when you, when everything you own fits into a Honda Accord and you travel the country, you learn to take responsibility for a lot of stuff and you just go battle it out. And, um, it's where I've learned my competitiveness my whole life. So it's, you know, you're you're willing to go do that. You're willing to go into the trenches and sales and go do the right, the need, the stuff you need to do. So, um, pretty, you know, pretty fun experience. Interesting. And so, from professional golf, and your friend mentioned you start in copier sales. Why specifically did he mention copier sales? So, uh, medical sales representatives um, will what we're looking for when I do an interview for somebody who's new into sales or come trying to get into medical sales. We want to see that business to business sales. Um, on your resume. So meaning like um, somebody who sells cars or somebody who sells like a um, like real estate or they do, um, you know, like they're a realtor, they don't actually go out and go through somebody's front door 
create a relationship and make a sale, right? I didn't create that. Most of the time, like when somebody buys a car, they come to the dealership, right? So there's a difference in the sales process. So we're always looking for that. So copiers was, you know, go put on a hundred dollar suit, walk out in the snow every day, go business to business and keep going and doing that. And that's what like, uh, like companies like myself look for. So I got lucky. I had somebody teach me that. And then I did it for like a year and a half. And then I, I have a conscience. So I had to go do something else with my life from uh, selling copiers. Why do you say that you have a conscience? Do you, are you more successful in copier sales without one? Yeah. Yeah. They are not the, uh, the best people that you've ever come across, at least like the people I was working with. So they're just, they're just a different type of people. They're, it's, it's a different world out there and it's very competitive. That's why the training is awesome. It's ruthless. Um, and that, that's the, the world that it is. So it's, it's nice to be where I'm at now versus that. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned how you got your competitive spirit, um, from playing professional golf and that has helped you in your sales career. Do you come across a lot of other sales reps who had a strong background in sales? Maybe they played pro semi pro or, or college sports and that same sort of competitive spirit helps to fuel them. Yeah, I'd probably say like a good 70, I, I, my guess is probably 75% of the people who do uh, medical sales have some type of sports competitive background. It's a, it's a main thing we look for. So like if I'm, I'm, if I'm looking for, you know, sports and then copiers or sports and then paychecks, those are, that's the pedigree that I'm looking for, for, for coming in. If I'm hiring for an entry level, you know, type job. That's interesting. So sports copiers paychecks because these two copiers and paychecks are very difficult to do kind of gives you proves that you've got some sort of a, a thick skin you've had the door closed in your face a lot yeah 100 percent. like i mean it, let's face it if you can walk in through a door and start a conversation about a copier and get that person to like you and buy from you you can you can sell a lot of things <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing more boring than a copy machine right but like, it's just the process of it. And they teach you so much. The training that you go through for a copier sales, like is second to none. I still, to this day, still use all the training that I got from copiers in my everyday life selling my product I do now. And, and paychecks is pretty similar from what I've heard. It's, you know, they got to go out and find, they got to go good businesses, um, get them to bring their services over to them and, um, you know, do it. So it's a very similar type sales process. So Aside from looking for those items that you mentioned, a background in competitive sports, a background in copier sales, paycheck sales, something like that, what are some attributes, some qualities that you would look for in the interview? Say I'm a business owner, I'm somebody who's hiring, I'm in charge of a sales team, I want to make sure I get somebody who's going to be really good for this. What am I looking for? Yeah, so uh, one of the main things I do is I ask them to sell me their current product. I am listening for them on how well they use three and four syllable words. I don't want them because when you're selling medical device or whatever you're selling, if you can use three and four syllable words well in a sentence, that means that you're very trainable to me. I think it's a big thing. So I always want to listen to that. How, what do they stutter on them or can they flow through their sales process with the big words? Um, because we can all memorize stuff, but can you understand it? If you understand it, you flow through your conversation, in my opinion. Um, I also look for, when I do interviews, um, I ask them about their day. And I want to see if physical fitness is a major part of their day. I believe it is the number one important thing for success. 
And I think that um, I always look forward. So I would not hire anybody who is, just being honest, like who is overweight or like I, I look for physical fitness as a big thing when I'm hiring, when I'm, if I'm hiring somebody. What's I think it's a, a major important. What's maybe the most common thing that you see derail a salesperson in their career or in their um, sales approach? Uh, for me, it's, I think people buy from people that they like and trust. And people want to be taken care of in the sales process. And that's why I go back to the physical fitness. Like I, I look at when I, when I, I, I think it's a big thing. I think if people can't take care of themselves, it's hard to get other people to trust that they're going to, that person's going to take care of them. So I think it's a, it's a major thing. Like for me, um, I also think people will use a uh, hundred words when eight would have been good <laughs> and they will talk. They won't, they don't actually listen to anybody. So and like, you know, and, and empathy, I, I think empathy is, um, is just as important as um, the physical fitness part, you like you, your ability to not think of yourself and think of somebody completely think of somebody else. And whenever I see these salespeople, they, they only talk about themselves. And not about the customer. Do you, do you think your skills are specific to your industry? Or do you think they would translate to pretty much any type of business? Uh, you know, I don't want, you know, I think, uh, it depends, right? Like, I think like if uh, I have a buddy in construction sales and I don't know if physical fitness is as big of a thing as it is in, in medical, right? Like, like, so that's a, you know, it's, um, it might be different, you know, but I, I always believe, you know, if you're, if you're physically fit and looking better, you're stronger, like it, like it's a big thing for, you know, career and your sales. Um, uh, but definitely everything else, you know, it would, it would, you know, go from, from industry to industry. Yeah. You possess a set of skills that are, in my opinion, attractive to virtually any business, right? You've got that ability to sell, to connect with people and sales are objectively the lifeblood of every business. If you were to go into a new situation, go into a business and help them develop a sales process, what would you do? What would that look like? Um, I would call, I would have to go back to my copier sales and I would literally, I it's, it's called the six step four part and I forget every single piece of it, but I would develop that sales process and I would take everybody through that sales process at the company. Can you recall any parts of it? Maybe just yeah, one or like, two that are kind of like a good um, starting place. It's, it's like find a prospect, find Mr. Right. Um, arrange a demo demonstration, um, build rapport, do a Broadway show for your demonstration and ask for the business. And you do this because you sell yourself, you sell your company, you sell your fab and you sell your commitment to excellence. So that was like is, the six step four part. Is it safe to say that even though it took you a minute to kind of recall those steps that you're doing this consistently throughout your career. You're still following that same framework. Hundred percent. Like I, I learned that 18 years ago, and I haven't said it to anybody. And I probably said that like six times in the past eight years, and I could still get. You know, it just took me a second, but yeah, no, I. Um, you know, so the first part of the sales process, you got to find who you're going to sell to. Is this a viable person? Are they? Do they genuinely? Are they going to want your product, or are you just hoping that they want your product? Right. Um, you got to get to the right person who's actually can 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 buy it, and you have to ask them if they want to see it, 
if you want to see the, you can't buy anything from somebody if you don't actually see the product and see it work. And then you, you better put on a Broadway show for your demonstration. Like there's no, there's no half ass in anything. You better really get into it and you want this thing to hum and be awesome. And then, you know, you got to build rapport with them and you got to ask for the business. You got to ask them to buy it. Right. At the end of the day, like nothing, nobody's gonna be able to like, yes, I like, please let me buy this from you. Like, no, you got to ask like, Hey, will you start using this? Will you buy this? Right. And then, um, yeah, you have to sell yourself. You have to sell like, it goes back to, like I said, the physical fitness, like who you are and like how you look in that presentation is extremely important, right? You better take care of yourself. You better, um, you know, I was, I'm a big believer of, you know, making sure you look and good as, as, as good as you possibly can. Right. Um, and then, you know, selling, you know, your, your, your company and you're selling the, the, the features and benefits. And then you're, you're like you and your company, your commitment to excellence. You want to be the best. That that's that is a major important thing I think in a, in a sales process. You always want to work with somebody who wants to be the best. Yeah, I'm looking at your LinkedIn page and I see a number of sales awards that you've won. You're consistently at the top of your company and performance. Would it be safe to say that people had you picked for success from an early age? Got straight A's? Was always on the honor roll? Uh, not even close. I barely graduated high school. I got kicked out of college. Um, I had a fun time at college, but I got kicked out. And then I finally did graduate. And then I traveled around in my car for a while playing golf. And for like three years, the only time I wrote my or anything was my name on a scorecard. So I didn't like do anything else. And then um, I just started to get into it. And then I grew up and then I figured out how to do this. And then I just paid attention and, and got good. So, um, you know, I'm a I'm. I'm a testament that that your grades in school do not mean how successful you're going to be in, in life. <laughs> you know, and I feel like that's not entirely uncommon. A number of great sales reps I know, in fact, a, a number of really successful business owners too, um, they struggled in school. They were not great students for one reason or another. Um, why do you why do you think that is? I mean, I've I've got my own theory on why people who didn't perform sort of early on in in the measured ways that society expects are now some of the most successful people career wise. Um, I believe that school is set up for you to go, you go, if you, as you think about the process as a kid, right? We go, we, we send our kids to school and they sit there and they have a person stand in front of them. And that person in front of them tells them what their, ver their, their view of the facts are. And then you have to be your student. You're then sitting there and you have to, repeat all that information back and you're com constantly um being you're basically just um uh i don't want to say this like you're constantly just giving that person the information and taking orders basically it's all that you're really doing you're not really like thinking for yourself in school that's not how we set it up you're just giving them information back to the teacher right so i think that keeps on going through life so if you're really good at at listening to what somebody says and then repeating it back to them on a test you can do very very good in school but if you're the type of person who sits there and listens to the, listens to the teacher and says, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I think there's a smarter, better way of doing that. Then all of a sudden you start putting that stuff on a test. Your grades aren't an A's, your grades are C's, right? So what's the old saying, right? The C's own the company, the B's manage the company, and the A's work at the company, right? The kids who like the kids who, who get A's in school, just because they get A's in school doesn't mean that they're, they're brilliant. And they most, a lot of those people are like doctors, right? Who do doctors work for? Hospitals, 
right? <laughs> and who owns the hospital? Shareholders who are smart, who are prices, you know, students, they own the companies. So I think it, it's a, it's a process through life that we go through. Yeah. I think business owners and uh, successful salespeople, you know, they're, they're doers by nature, right? And to some degree, they're risk takers. And obviously it's a gross overgeneralization and certainly not always true, but I've seen, you know, some people be very book smart and kind of feel comfortable behind a book, right? But maybe not as comfortable dealing with people and solving people problems, which I think, you know, successful business owners and successful salespeople need to do. Do you think that people who become good at, you know, like they, they, they go to school and they get A's, right? So they never actually have to like, they're just, they're just constantly taught through their life that they're smart because they're getting these good grades. They never actually have to stop and think a different way. I think that would be a gross generalization. I think okay. that that certainly <laughs> applies to some people, but I know people who yeah. have been very successful in high school and college and that has spilled over into, you know, their professional careers as well. Meaning like, um, no, no, not that they won't be successful, but that they, they are versus I think, I think like when you're in sales or a business owner, you're, 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 you're never locked into an answer. You're always like, okay, well then like I can, I'm, I'm very flexible on what different ways are. Right. Cause we're, you've got a different mind, mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Versus like, I think people who are very good in school, like are like, Nope, this is the way that it is. I'm, I know this. I've studied it. I read it in a book, and I'm I'm not going to question what I what I read in those books because it has to be right type of thing. Yeah, maybe they're a little bit more rule followers. Where yeah, that's a good people way at the other it. end of the spectrum. They're a little bit more rule breakers. Yeah, they're willing to crack that's a some great eggs. way. Yeah, yeah. let's like touch way. on some unusual uh, projects that you've taken part in. Um, you'd mentioned something to me before we started about uh, reimbursement program that you were working with uh, the governor of Ohio on. Yeah. So then, um, you know, I found out that Medicare, like Medicare Advantage patients were in the state of Ohio are, are, are taken advantage of it for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, so I, not to, to, to long story short, I ended up contacting the governor of Ohio. I got his email from an orthopedic meeting he was at and he, we started having conversations and I ended up meeting with the Department of Insurance, and they did some investigation into these insurance companies. And um, it turns out the insurance companies admitted to knowingly denying procedures to patients because of a gray area in the law. And because of the gray area in the law, um, the uh, insurance companies allowed to to deny patients for procedures for patients they they know that they should, and they verbally admitted to doing this, um, but they would not, you know, put it in writing. So. Um, you know, that was a big thing. And I, I did a big thing in the state of Ohio to petition um, Mutual Medical of Ohio um, uh, to get a procedure covered. I, I worked with uh, societies, a national society for pain management and a state society. And, um, you know, long story short, my, my company, the same time I needed uh, to, to get the signature or support from the president of a national society, my company unknowingly didn't, um, we didn't support their, their national meeting. And saved fifty thousand dollars, and so they never talked to us again. So then it um, all ended. So there's the uh, the difference between being a business owner who's in control of their business, and then the working for a company is is right there. That had to have been very frustrating. I mean, what you're describing, how you sort of climbed up the chain to work with the governor's office and got one of the big insurance uh, companies to admit 
um, this malfeasance is the way, you know, sort of the way you describe it, that, that in itself is a pretty big accomplishment. And you had a path to sort of righting this wrong. And it feels like your company kind of pulled the rug out from under you, even though this is something that would have benefited them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, um, uh, yeah, it would have changed completely our stock price and like millions of dollars. And they just, yeah, they, they, um, to be fair, I was doing the the job of a vice president of the company and my job at the same time. And it's funny last week I gave this presentation. I, what everything I did to our new national sales manager and I, uh, director of marketing, who's taken on the uh, reimbursement and I showed him everything that I did. And then um, my prize was some points through our point system, which got me a uh, windbreaker. And then um, it was a joke because obviously it was it was like worth nothing. But then um, they actually asked me to have more detail and to put more work into it because they, they thought it was pretty interesting. And I just got off the phone and I said, "No, I'm not doing anything. Why would I? Why would I do anything for you? You don't want to. You don't want to pay me, and you guys will screw it up." So um, yeah, that's kind of how corporate America works, right? Like you. You go out and do a little bit extra to make it better. You actually think of people and want to do a good thing, and then they um, they stomp on you. <laughs> wow, that's yeah, got to kind of squelch your motivation to do your primary job for them. You know, a little bit. I, I, I don't do this job for um, for them, or you know, I just I. Um, it's it's fun to hear patients feel awesome, and be able to go and exercise and get their life back and and feel better. So like. Um, that's a big thing for me. I, that's my number one. So um, I think physical fitness is a, a blessing. And uh, I like when I was in the gym this morning at 530 and I was on the Peloton and I did not want to be there. I said to myself, you are blessed to have the ability to be on this Peloton right now. And didn't I just power through it? Like it's like and I and I if and you can give access to that to people. I think it's uh, a great gift. So that, that's so why I do it. Let's talk on that for a moment because uh, we haven't actually gone into any detail about the device that you sell. Can you describe that briefly? Yeah, so it's a uh, it's called Cool Leaf Radio Frequency Ablation, and and, and what it does is we have uh, sensory nerves in our body that send a signal to our brain uh, for touch, right? So like, but it's a pain signal. So from our back, our knee, our hip, our shoulder. There's sensory nerves that send a signal to our brain if you you have pain, and we all have knee we have like knee pain, back pain. So we can uh, put an electrical probe down to that spot where the sensory nerves at, but not near the motor nerve, which would be function. And we take that sensory nerve and we can ablate it, basically create a callus like you have on your hand right now, and create it in that spot, and it'll destroy the nerve. So over time, our our you know, and like we'll, we don't take you from a 10 to a zero, but we'll take you from an eight to a two on your pain level where you are eight, you're not really getting out of bed. You're, you're in tough spot versus two. I've taken a leave every once, once a week and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Right. Uh, patient's pain comes back. The nerve is going to regenerate, but they can have this done every six months. Um, it takes 15 minutes and, you know, patients feel great. So, um, you know, one of the side effects of our knee procedure was that, people thought their knee was their knee osteoarthritis was gone. Like they thought their knee was like from like when they were like five years old and they went out and ran a ton and actually hurt themselves. Like that was our side effects because people felt so good. They were actually doing too much. They needed to do some physical therapy and strengthen it back up for, for a while. So um, that's, that's in a nutshell what it does. So you aren't selling to the end customer. You're selling to the doctor that then recommends the treatment to the patient. 
do you still get to hear a lot of the patient stories then? I do. Um, we had uh, quite a few actually. And then um, my favorite one was actually about four months ago. So I was um, in surgery and doctor looks at me and goes, Hey, so I got this really cool story. So patient called him that week. This patient had seen, had had nine surgeries on her knee. And after the ninth surgery, she still had pain. And the orthopedic surgeon said, look, at this point now, like amputations, really your only option to go. So, um, so she was like, she did not want to do that. She somehow, she found out about the doctor I work with and got a cool leaf. And we were at the four month mark. She got a phone, he got a phone call that week that she was pain-free at four months and was like the happiest person in the world. Like because of our product and the procedure that, that I sold, like she did not have her leg amputated. And from my last, I know she's still going strong. That's amazing. I actually have a similar awesome. story to share of my own mother who had uh, chronic migraines for years, decades, um, has tried just about every medication, every treatment out there. And um, when she had the procedure done with this um, cool leaf device that you're describing, uh, it's the first time that I can remember uh, in her life where she, when I ask, hey, mom, how's your headaches today? And she's like, what headaches? She's like, I feel great. So, awesome. yeah. And as somebody who gets to sell that, who gets to bring that sort of pain relief to people, I have to imagine, aside from all the sales commissions that you're working for, that that's got to be really rewarding. 100%, man. Like, like uh, my number one is the VA, right? Like, my, like we, like I work in the Cincinnati VA, the Dayton VA, and if they need us, we never, we never miss it. We take care of those people because they are the most difficult to treat. These people have had just, just tough things to go through. And their results are awesome. So like the, the, the only time that I ever like really get upset about like somebody didn't choose us, I lost a sale is, is a VA system. Like, like it's just like helping those people is the best. That's great. Let's, um, let's find a difficult experience that you've been through in your career. Something that maybe you thought was going to be the end of your career brought you to your knees. Something really tough that you had to overcome. Anything uh, that meets that description? Yeah. So my um, a person in my company was running my company, uh, Medtronic, who is a um, very large medical manufacturer, like a couple hundred billion dollars, purchased a, a product that is very similar to mine. And about two weeks before Christmas of like 2019, I think, 2020, so 2019 maybe. Um, yeah, it was 2019. Uh, I got a phone call from my largest customer that they were trialing this, this product. Right. And we we're talking like, I can't like my next year would have been, I would have made very little money and it had been tough. So then um, I had to like really stop and like do a lot of research on what, what was going on and try to figure it all out. And um, through a lot of speaking with other physicians there, understanding who this, like what was going on. They had a new physician there who was bringing them in. He, he was a, um, uh, a uh, uh, speaker for Medtronic too. So he like was like getting pressured by them and Medtronic does it like a, a backwards way, like trying to get in through uh, corporate accounts and they were pressuring Ohio state to use their, their product too. So um, I ended up uh, meeting with every physician at Ohio state. I put together a huge presentation about who my company is um, versus like David versus Goliath. And, and not only did I get every physician to, um, want to work with us, they pressured the main doctor into doing it. 
where um, he called me one day. He's like, Hey man, you you guys are it. Like, you know, we, we need to like, like we're, we're going to keep with you guys. And since then I have uh, like doubled the business. We have huge contracts with them. And um, that main doctor who was almost switched is now a really good friend of mine. Yeah. So what did you tell them? What were you able to tell them that, Hey, you guys should stick with us. What was better about you? Uh, you know, in our industry, there are different procedures. Every, every physician has a, a, a big book of different uh, procedures they can do. Right. And they're in the Medtronic is a very good at selling one type of a, of a procedure that I don't do, but I'm very good at mine. And the big thing I told them was, look, like we do research. We, we spend a lot of our money um, into, uh, uh, you know, research, developing new products, making it better for the future and for their reimbursement for this procedure versus everyone else does nothing. So if they decide to, you know, choose them, they can't. I mean, no one's stopping them from doing that. But that's one less, that's, that's a million less dollars that's coming into us who are spending that money on making their lives better. Right. And other companies not doing it. And I'm a big believer when somebody's about when you're making a big decision, you got to pull on those heartstrings and get them to understand, like, this is bigger than me just trying to save a little bit of money on a on a supply. Like, I'm really going to impact, you know, who's my rep, who are things because I told them, I go, you guys do this, but you'll lose me as a rep. Like, I won't be no one will be around anymore. And, you know, you'll have no one really helping you do this. And once they and I, I, I showed them the big picture of what it was and not just the cost savings. And I think that was where they really understood, wow, we, we need this. And, you know, not only did we save it, um, you know, no one else has really switched over to those guys to, to Medtronic and in, in my territory. Cause I think they kind of all just knew that we've um, you know, we're, we're really good at what we do. How has that played out in some of the other territories? Has your company been successful in defending the territory or has Medtronic been encroaching? No, they've encroached on different reps because they're just they're just newer. We've our company's had a hard time keeping reps over the years. Um, I've just good have been here for a while, so like I was able to to keep it. But no, they've they've stolen a, a decent bit of business from us, and um, it's been a, a little bit of an issue. But I, I you know, I, I think there's like a couple of big accounts in like the Carolinas. Okay, how do you overcome negative chatter in your head? Negative voices. You can't do this. It'll never work. Who do you think you are? Do you have some of that when you were going through that whole thing with Medtronic? Like, maybe this is it. Like, this is just all going to unravel. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't call it negative chatter. I would call it like my brain won't stop working until I figure it out. Right? Like, I don't, I don't ever sit here and say, like, have negative things in my brain. I'm always just like, no, 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 I'll, I'll figure it out. I will get it. Like, and then I just, it just takes me time. I just haven't figured it out yet. I'm a big believer in that. And um, so it was, it wasn't more of like, crap, I suck. It was more of like, how am I, how am I going to fix this? Right. And then I just would, I wouldn't sleep. I would just like be up all, I was like, how am I going to do it? And I, until I played out the whole, we created a whole big game plan for it. And then once I did that, um, you know, it worked. I love that because um, when I find myself in similar situations, I find if I can coach myself to approach it from a place of curiosity, that a lot of the worry and the stress starts to subside. I put on my creative thinking cap and I try to look at it as an opportunity, right? Where, what are the pieces of the puzzle that I need to put together here 
in order to turn this challenge into a successful situation. Yeah. And so that's exactly what you're describing. It's funny when I, um, when I'm teaching my son about golf and he hits a bad shot and he's, you know, 10. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to get him to understand this, but I go, the best golf shots I've ever hit in my life were right after one of the worst golf shots I've ever hit in my life. And it is a whole, it's a big thing of life, right? Some of like your, your best moments are, are during times when it's the biggest stress that came through. You figured it out how to do this, right? You don't, you don't remember the easy wins. You really remember the ones that were the hardest to get because you really had to use your brain to, to figure it all out. The process is what's really cool. You know, I tell my kids, if you're doing it right, you are always learning new things. I'm curious, how do you keep your mind fresh? What do you do to keep learning every day? Well, uh, I need to do more. I don't. I really don't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm lazy. I have a, um, I wish I read more. I, I, I need to commit more and get off my phone at, at night. It's a big thing for me. Um, uh, I wish I read more of our studies and, and got better at it. To be fair, I should quit my job. I 100% should be on, I should go do something else. I should challenge myself and, and go do it. But I don't because I don't, because I, I, I guess for me, I still play amateur golf events. For me, when I look back at my year of 2023, I don't, I couldn't care less that I got sec, first or second place in my company, but I do care that I got a bunch of top tens in golf tournaments and I kept myself in physical shape and able to compete against these kids. So like, that's what I do care about. Right. So like, I'm always, I guess when I, like, I, I, it's funny when you ask the question, I, I took it to work, but I'm constantly trying to figure out how to get better at golf and working on it and, and keep going there. And I don't put any, any effort into my, my job to, to, to make myself better. <laughs> I just, why do you I think just that is? To, why, why do you think that, I mean, initially your competitive spirit from golf was translated really well into helping with your sales career. And now it sounds like you've kind of lost some of that excitement or enthusiasm for it, but you still really have it for the sports side, for the golf. Yeah, I think it's like 100% on the golf side. Like, I love the challenge. Like, this golf world of, like, when you have friends that are in the golf world and you you play in these tournaments against these guys, they're all, like, the, the level, like, people don't genuinely understand how serious like mid am like when I say mid am golf like or amateur golf, how serious people take it like like these dudes are awesome, and like to go and be able to beat them at the age of forty seven when they're twenty is is like it keeps me going right I do it for a lot, but like it's 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 um it's really hard to 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 try to go and beat them and and constantly getting better and um yeah, I mean like it's really really cool, but you know for my work wise you know to be fair i like I don't quit or leave because it allows me to play golf in the summer. <laughs> right? I, like I don't like like quality of life is the only reason I'm still at my company like I I could go and do it but then if, if I went and and part of it is like like when I'm in surgery I have to read fluoroscopy which is instant x-rays so um I'm really good at it I'm like really really good at it and like so that skill isn't something I can just take over to doing another procedure and it makes me so needed in the operating room or or my um, they really like having me there, the physician to help. That's like, why, why screw that up? Right. It's like the, um, the old adage, like, you know, you pay a lawyer now for like, might pay a lawyer like a thousand dollars an hour for something. 
And they're like, well, why is it so expensive? Like, well, you're not paying for me for my time now. You're paying me for all the time I took to learn me to learn all this knowledge, right? Yeah. Like in the previous, like, so that's kind of why I stay. Do you have any favorite pieces of software or other tools that you feel like are really helpful to your sales success? We have a, uh, I mean, I like salesforce.com. We have a software called Showpad where I can send an email out and then I can see if you open it. I can see if you read it. I can see how long you actually spent on it. So if I send out 10 emails in a day and if two open it, then I know the next day where to go and target. So that, that I think that's anything that makes my day more efficient. How about any um, resources for learning, like Masterclass or um, Linda or any sites like that that you use to just kind of tickle different parts of your brain? Uh, yeah, I've used Masterclass. I think it's fantastic. I think the uh, Chris Voss Master Negotiator, FBI Negotiator, was, was fantastic. Um, but to be fair, um, I didn't use it as much as I should have, right? Some of the stuff I wasn't too interested in, but, um, I should do more. Yeah. Like I will sit here today and be like, you know what, tonight I am going to go read. And then around eight o'clock, I will turn my phone on and watch golf videos on Instagram and then I'll go to bed. And then tomorrow I'll do the same exact thing. <laughs> so you, your motivation really comes from, you want to beat those other guys on the course that, you know, you're not so motivated to be the number one salesperson versus the number two or three in your company. That doesn't really seem to drive you as much. Like you're not trying no. to beat the other salespeople as much as you're trying to beat the guys on the golf course. Uh, well, I'm not trying to beat the guys on the golf course. I mean, it's fun that you compete against other guys, you're competing against them, but dominating a golf course is truly one of the greatest feelings in the entire world. And I wish that people could experience it because it's so difficult. And when you can actually start to get like, you know, six, seven, eight under par on a golf course, which is like extremely rare for people. Like they've never, you know, nine, like we're like, it's, I don't even know what percent has been able to do that, but it's, it's, it's extremely low off the charts. Right. And like, and I'm very blessed that I got to do that, but like, I get to deal with it, but like, I worked so hard at it to get back there again. Cause it's like this euphoria that your, your brain is in that like nothing's going wrong. And then, and then the next day you'll go play and you'll play terrible. And then you go home and you're like, I can't, I can't. And your brain can't understand why in a, just a, you can literally dominate a golf course. And the very next day, the golf course beats you. And it's just the most fascinating game in the world. So you're interested more, you're excited or motivated more by beating the course than you are beating the other golfers. Yeah. Golf is this, um, uh, it's a game where, the ball sits still. Everyone who plays has the feeling that they can, this should, this should be easy. And it is the most maddening game in the entire world. You, you strive for perfection and it's impossible, but everyone believes that they can do it. Are there specific books or mentors that have helped shape your professional career? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, my dad has been, um, very instrumental, uh, for teaching me investing and different things. That was, that was very crucial. Um, uh, and then I had a guy when I, by the job I'm at now, he originally hired me, um, to come in. I was contract labor and he's, I, I haven't talked to him in a long time. He's been, um, uh, you know, very good, but 
a lot of it's just, you know, friends, you know, speaking. And I'm always curious on just learning people's di different businesses and hearing how they approach things and stealing little bits from everybody that I talk to and, and using them. What's something you wish you could teach the 20 year old version of Mike? Wow. Something that's clear to you now that wasn't so back then. Drugs are bad. You know, for... <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a serious answer. Drugs are bad. Uh, grow up. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I wish I had like, like, yeah, yeah. Just, just grow up. Okay. I had a real shot. I could have been on the tour. I, had a, I was talent wise. I was good enough to be on the tour, but maturity wise, I was a 12 year old out there. As you think about either your professional career or uh, your golf game, since that's such a, a big passion of yours, what would you define as your biggest area of need right now? For, um, for either your sales career or for your golf passion? What's something that you want to actively work on to improve? I, I want to work on my golf game more because I think I have a legit chance at playing some really awesome senior events. I'm going to be 50 here in uh, three years. Um, and even some mid-am. So, like, so uh, what I need is to be fired from my job. That's an honest answer. I, I, le I legitimately need to be fired from my job because I'm too complacent. And I'm too comfortable and comfort is the um, aggressive. What is it? Uh, the aging is the aggressive seek of, of, of comfort. So like, you know, I need to get, I need to get uncomfortable and I'm not uncomfortable right now. And it's, it's an issue. You got to shake up the snow globe somehow, huh? Yep, I do. But you know, hard to do. <laughs> Just one more question for you. Um, but yeah. before I ask it, um, how can people get in touch with you? People listening to this episode, hey, Mike's an interesting guy. I'd like to connect with him. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Michael Shonk. And then um, you can always um, email me at michaelshonk2 at gmail.com. More than welcome. Um, I think that's the, uh, the two, two main ways. Great. Okay, last question, Mike. How do you see the industry that you're currently working in evolving in the next five to ten years? Boy. Um, So uh, it's funny. I work in the medical industry and most of my patients are obese or overweight and um, that I see and they're in pain. Um, they just can't figure it out. But, um, you know, and when I, when, I, when I look at it, I'm as like, all I ever tell people is go exercise and feel awesome, right? Do it every single day. You are blessed to have a body that works and functions. You only get one in your life. So take care of it and go do it but I make money on people who don't, right? It's like, I, I'm, I'm a complete hypocrite when it comes to, to work, right? Like not everyone, like, no, but like most of the people that, that I see are, are not doing the right things in their life to, to feel better, right? Um, so when I look at like the medical industry um, in the next like five or 10 years, we are at, I, in my opinion, like I'm, it's, it's gonna bankrupt the United States. Um, if you look around major cities around our country, Every major city you go to, there's only really two businesses that are growing. It's either tech or hospitals, right? And they are growing and growing and growing. That's where all the money goes. And um, I don't see 
it, it at ever ending. Like, like um, I see that uh, medical device companies are going to keep getting pinched because reimbursements keep going lower because insurance companies um, are, don't have the money to keep paying out these huge, huge payments. Medicare is basically broke and the Medicare actually pays insurance companies to manage their patients. Um, so I, I see like less, I don't know if you want to say less quality healthcare, but like less device companies just don't are going to have the money to keep developing new things to keep going forward. The, the system needs, we need someone new in charge who can, um, has a different philosophy on, on how to do things. Right. Thanks for sharing, Mike. Yeah. That's a wrap on another episode of the Inspired Stories podcast. Thanks for learning with me today. 